Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we have with us Sarah Segal, like Steven, only better, <laughs> who is the Director of Demand Gen at Full Story. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Yes, thanks, Jane. I'm super excited for us to connect and finally be able to connect after so long. I know. We met, Sarah's another person on the show. I think you're number two, maybe number three, from a little squad that we got together from Women in Revenue, a community we're in. Definitely check it out, everybody. It's a great group of women, as you probably see from the guests we've brought on from there. But it's so good to see you again and love to see you succeeding and speaking out there and growing in your career. So it's amazing to see. But we'd love to share your journey with the the listeners here and if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started in B2B marketing and demand gen. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. I'm really excited. I've loved all the speakers so far. So excited to um, to be able to be on. But yeah, just to kind of take it back, I actually started out in sales. So back in college, I worked through college and found an ad one time for sales and the money looked good in the ad. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And had never sold before, but uh, found out I got the job, and they were and we were selling digital marketing as well as believe it or not phone book ads. Wow! So I have a lot of empathy <laughs> for sales because I've done full funnel sales before, and yeah, that's where I kind of started out. A company called First Media and did a lot of uh, digital marketing, really focused on the digital marketing side, but did complement it with like local advertising. Yeah, And I uh, did that for about four years or so. And during that time, I um, realized I really loved the marketing app, the digital marketing, like what I was selling, but wanted to do more of that, not necessarily the sales grind of it. Uh, yeah. And then moved over in B2B tech when moving here to Phoenix, Arizona and worked for a company called Integrate, if you're familiar with for a while, mm-hmm. um, to the hospitality space with Choice Hotels. And moved back into B2B tech with a company called Axway for about four years. And that's where I really got my first stride, I'd say, in where I'm at now, which is more specific to demand gen. Because there mm-hmm. I was, I started out with performance media. So handled our regional, all the advertising, moved to doing that globally and was like, hey, there's a lot of, I don't just want to do the advertising piece of this. I want to see what happens afterwards and started poking into marketing ops. And had an yeah. amazing team there that like let me poke in, let me get in Marketo and tr- was willing to train me and kind of set me loose to try stuff. And yeah, kind of did both sides of the house there, helped stand up some ABM and then moved me into my role um, currently with Full Story. And here it was interesting. So I started out in the ABM role. So it was specific to helping stand up our ABM for the commercial side of the house and moved more into kind of, I think the stars aligned to my current role where I'm leading up marketing operations and performance media. So all of that background, like 10 plus years of performance, ops, sales, customer success, it's kind of rolled into this dream role. Honestly, I have an absolutely amazing team of total badass 
female marketers. They're all amazing. Um, and we're running the ship when it comes to all things performance media and all things marketing ops. Love it. Is your team all women right now? They are. Which what? I know. I have never seen that. Yeah, it was that wasn't by decision or anything. Yeah, it just yeah. happened to be that way. And it's interesting. Almost the majority of our marketing team is actually women. Our my manager is a woman. Our CMO before she left, Kirsten Kip, she a female. So yeah, but my team wow. is for women. Absolutely amazing. And yeah, they just literally GSD every day. Yeah. All day. Yeah. And Sarah is another member of the get shit done club, everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> good club to be in. <laughs> uh-huh. That's so amazing to hear though, that you're, I mean, to be around so many women marketers every day. I mean, we know I'm all about that. So <laughs> it must exactly. be just so inspiring for, for everyone on the team to see that and have a CMO too, like on all ends, you're just thriving. Very cool. Yeah. It's, and I'll share, it's actually one of the reasons that I came to full story. And I think that goes for a lot of us, right? Like females in the B2B space in tech, where knowing that there are other women that you like are aspiring to be in those roles, have like some of the same values or doing the same type of work. Yeah. That was proven for me just in my like two years here. That helps accelerate your career because you have leaders who understand what you're doing, understand, um, have been through some of the same struggles and can help take out blockers and obstacles in the path that a male counterpart may not be like may not be familiar with or may not understand so um it's been it's tangibly proven to to impact my career because there's been a lot of growth for myself and my team just in like the last two years wow so cool to see in here that's amazing and yeah. speaking of your team too you were telling me you have an interesting setup which you just touched on with the marketing ops and other but if you could go into that your team structure and how that works for you and what you're seeing out of it that'd be great absolutely so i like to think of my team like if marketing overall if our entire marketing org was a car right yeah. i like to think of the ops as the engine right? It's really pushing everything along. And performance media often, and anything with performance related, is often the fuel, right? It's mm -hmm. the putting the money in to get the message out there. You got brand making the car look good. You have campaigns and feel getting the car to where they're going, kind of steering ship. But these two big pieces, marketing ops or performance, are key pieces to get the car moving. And both of those, I'm really, really thankful because it's not the standard setup. Both of those roll into my team. Um, again, it's, I kind of see it like the start aligned a little bit because that is so unique, but yeah, it's proven to be really valuable for our marketing org and our business overall, because we're able to having those teams together ensures that we're getting a lot of the visibility on the marketing side that normally would just sit in a silo, that they're getting into these tools and working closely with our performance team on, yeah. Hey, are the leads and the accounts that we're tagging, are they going through properly? Are they getting into the system and being tagged properly, whether that's with GDPR segmentation or in the right account target list? Like, is all of that information flowing through properly? And vice versa, the performance teams who normally they're just focused on, hey, like, yes, we want like our standard performance metrics to look good, right? Like, are we spending properly? Are we, mm -hmm. um, our conversion rates correct? But my performance team is in Salesforce and in data more than probably most are. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And it's exciting to see, but that's come from 
how closely they're working with marketing ops and mm-hmm. being able to get into the, that data and see like, yep, I'm not just looking at, does someone fill out a form? I'm looking to see that all those UTMs pass over correctly. Are they in the right wow. sales Are they like, those teams are enabled now to report on pipeline and revenue on their own without having to like, put in a request. Yeah. And they must be paying a super attention to detail because that's what's kind of brought up. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it has to, especially with, I don't know if you've faced this before, but like oftentimes, especially with B2B tech and startup tech, there can be some turnover, right? And when there's turnover, the systems and things that were put in Mm. place, and even when there's not turnover, even within your own team, like when, when you're moving so fast, a process can be put in place that six months later, you're like, why did we do that? What was, yeah. what was the purpose of that? Why are we stamping that field that way? Yeah. So having the teams that are not just responsible for the spin in there and, and like not, they're, they're not just responsible for the spin, they're also responsible for the outcomes, right? And being able yeah. to report that and share that with our head of demand gen and ultimately our CEO right now, being able to have that full funnel and confidence of like, yep, this is the way it's supposed to go. And when something goes wrong or when something looks a little off, we know how to go in and pinpoint what happened? What changed? Like that's been yeah. a huge difference without having to go through a lot of hoops and wait to see like, let's put in a ticket and we have to wait a week and understand who did this and that. Yeah. You're able to just pivot faster and learn things and make changes and adjustments on a faster scale. Very cool. Exactly. Does your marketing ops team or arm, or if it's one person, I'm not sure, but do they also work with the other marketing teams and then can they cross pollinate that information or is it a dedicated marketing ops for demand gen? Oh, that would be wonderful. Wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No, we have. So, um, outside of the team, two gals, again, absolutely amazing. But so I'll take a step back of our team supports global marketing. Mm. So we have two performance marketing managers, two marketing ops managers, and they support our entire global operations. So while we're supporting a lot within demand gen, those ops roles, as well as performance, they're pulled into everything from events, partner relations, mm. um, guest standard demand gen, sales. I have, a, right after this, we have a call with sales that our marketing ops person will be speaking on, and we have some of performance speaking on. What's wow. been helpful, I'll say, is that I'd say for small teams, it's been really like coming into the role I thought I was like, yep, yeah, we can just kind of switch off. Everyone can kind of support everyone. We have to move quickly and be agile. That did not work. That caused a lot of confusion and who do I go to? Like trying to make this matrix of like who does what. So we went back and at least on the marketing ops side of house for sure, we have um, each operator is has a specific team that they support um, and listed those teams. And that's been proven to help not only like make things a little bit more streamlined, but we can scale what we're doing. So like one person, the majority of all in-person events, because Mm. that process is usually the same for the most part, and we can move quicker um, internally. Yeah. It makes it so Mm -hmm. much easier internally for them to know who's supposed to do what. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you also recognize this, right? You tried a structure or a setup with your team and recognized that it wasn't working. So you just quickly went back and, and changed to something that would work better. Yeah. I mean, that's what we have to do, right? At the end of the day, it's, I want my team to be happy. Like, and there's always, there's always stuff that, that we're going to be doing 
whatever team you're supporting, right? Whether it's marketing, sales, partner, whoever else. Yeah. That's some stuff that's kind of like the monotonous day to day. But I think being able to pair that with things that are going to push, whether that's supporting a new type of team or a new region, or even just supporting a new onboarding of a new type of tool, like having yeah. that, those growth pieces layered in so it's not always so monotonous because any supporting execution role, there's stuff that always has to be done. You can try to automate it as much as you can and get some stuff done, but there's always going to be some element of you have to do this daily or weekly or monthly. And I think it's important for managers and leaders to like recognize that, help the team recognize like, yes, this is part of the role, but let's augment it with something that does make you passionate and does drive like retention, right? So that you're not feeling like you're just kind of a hamster in a wheel. Yeah, exactly. It's some freedom to create. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of your demand gen team and title and you owning or director of demand gen, the word demand gen, you and I oh, were gosh. touching on this a little bit earlier, <laughs> but demand, I mean, in my career, I've seen it, it was always lead gen, right? Lead gen was a thing and now it's demand gen. They were kind of synonymous for a while. And now it's like very clear that people do not want them to be synonymous. And it's like, you're shamed if you use them interchangeably. So what's your take on lead gen versus demand gen? I am not with the, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. I'll say that. Like, I <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I do think, I think there's a new emphasis, right? And well, I'll not say new. It's been like this, I'd say the last two to three years of yeah. move away from leads, go to ABM. Let's focus on value. Let's, we're going to take all our forms off. We don't care about leads. At the end of the day, you still have to call someone and you're not calling an account, you're calling a person. That's how yeah. I was like, at the end of the day, you can have all the signals and everything, but at the end of the day, you're still calling, your sales is still calling a person or people, right? The value of buying groups. And I think there is a place for like, well, let me take it back. I think that like lead gen falls within demand gen. Lead gen Mm -hmm. is still always going to be a thing. And when I think of lead gen, it's not necessarily things like content syndication or just filling out a standard form. Yeah, That can still work for some orgs, but with layered a lot of other efforts, right? A lot of things that right now are being emphasize in demand gen, right? Like thought leadership, being able to understand like your intent signals. How are you getting the right message to the right person at the right time? Practically what we do internally, we have both plays running. We have a really strong ABM play or ABM team that we look at the full life cycle from awareness to decision to expansion and have plays running toward accounts with the right type of content for that. But once that gets whittled down, you're still getting people to fill out a demo form, right? Or you're still getting <laughs> someone to raise, like someone still needs to raise their hand. You yeah. still have to contact people. So I think there's a mix between both of those. Like, when people shame lead gen, I kind of roll my eyes. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's cool for LinkedIn. But what are you doing behind the scenes actually? <laughs> so true. I think this, but I'm actually doing this behind exactly. the scenes. Exactly. I'm so curious, have you jumped on the bandwagon of the getting rid of all forms other than demo? You're right. Like totally you have to have, I mean, something to raise your hand at the end of the day, but for content consumption, are you on team no forms or some forms? <laughs> I really like the idea of no forms. Yeah. But that said, full story, like the company, we still use forms. 
because that I think making that change, you can rip the band-aid, but if you're going to rip the band-aid, you sure as hell better be prepared for your sales and marketing teams to be aligned. And we're like, and it's okay to recognize when you're ready for that and when you're not ready for that, right? Because yeah. there can be a million other priorities that are happening. What we're trying to do right now to help almost do it in a staggered position is at one point, every single person filled out a form was getting over to our sales teams. They fill out mm -hmm. a content form. Everything was getting considered as an MQL. We're transitioning to layer in data. Like right now we're using six cents, right? In terms of like lead scoring and things like that. I feel like there's an opportunity to use lead scoring as a way to reduce that down. You can still nurture those people and send them emails. Not a big fan of that. We do more retargeting, but yeah. um, trying to move little by little away from that. The thing is with, depending on your org size and the way your sales team have always been set up, that can be a problem. Like if you just completely yeah. say, all right, we're no longer going to send you leads other than demo forms. When they were getting this funnel of leads before that they were dependent on and you take that yes. away, right? So total change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like that sales enablement, that sales process shift, the emphasis to say, okay, now sales, we're going to train you on using a tool like Sixth Sense or you train you on a different outbound notion. There's a lot that goes into that. That's not just marketing at the head of that. There had sales yeah. enablement, sales leadership. So I think oftentimes those kind of decisions can be seen on the surface as a marketing decision, mm -hmm. but it takes a, the whole tribe to get on board to make that not be a total bust. Yeah, that's interesting. So have you, for, have you ungated a ton of content, but still keeping some right now and kind of gradually taking it away to make it less of a huge adjustment for everybody? Well, we're, so we still have some of our, our content gated, but rather than just sending that to sales, we hold back to say like, okay, Got are it. they, is this person the right fit? Do they have intent? Are they meeting this criteria like within our lead scoring to be ready for it to be outreached? If they are, then let's send them through. If not, let's continue to get content in front of them, continue to target them until they're actually ready for that. Yeah. Warm them up a little bit more. Exactly. I wonder you mentioned, and I want to dive into this more is retargeting over email to help warm up those leads. How have you seen that working more than email or why do you feel that way? Email is a good channel, right? Like email, it's your own audience. You can get the direct message, but I'm just, I'm a performance gal at heart. Yeah. That's, and I feel like it's always got kind of shit on, but like before and still sometimes I'm like, oh, you're wasting money advertising, but yeah, it does all the time, right? <laughs> all the time. But you're seeing more, like I see people like Chris Walker and these other people who are talking more about, yes, like you, if you advertise don't put the form on there, but if you, you're, the whole purpose of marketing is getting the right message in front of the right person at the right time. So if you know that, especially with tools like intent signals, like we use six cents and we have like Mambora and we have qualified to these signals, mm -hmm. you can fuel that into your retargeting and your advertising where you're not wasting money. Like you're getting the right message. You know, these people are interested. Maybe they're not interested yet enough to talk to sales, but they're interested. So like yeah. how to continue to stay top of mind because at some point they're either going to want to buy or they're not. And if yeah. they get way to the point that they want to buy, you've better have done everything that you could have to get in front of them because you don't want that signal to turn to hot and they have no idea who you are when sales goes to reach out or there's time for a POC. Like it mm -hmm. makes it such a harder sell 
when they have no idea who you are or have no idea like what the value is that you bring compared to a competitor. Yeah. How do you, with all of these, maybe with these tools, they, they have an answer for this, but how do you prove the value of bringing in this intent data, right? You mentioned like Sixth Sense and Qualified and Bumbora intent data, laying that in and warming them up these leads so that when they reach out, it, they're more informed. How do you prove that and show the value of that to the sales team or, I mean, in general, to even to your team? It's a lot of the, it's based off of conversion rates. So mm. we're able to see, hey, of these, and it's a couple of different layers, right? The first one is we can identify accounts, right? You can identify account to say, what stage is it in? Is it in a late stage? And we've worked for over a year. Like we've implemented, for example, like with Six Sense, we've implemented that a little, like almost a year and a half ago. And still to this day, but really the first six months, heavy focus in sales of being able to say, let's work these accounts. Let's focus on these accounts that are in this late stage decision and purchase to go after first. And being able to prove back with the data of these accounts that were in this stage had at one point, it was like a seven point something times more likely to close and turn into a customer. So it's like, if you have mm. 10,000 accounts in your book of business, but only 4,000 or 2,000 are in this stage, why don't you just focus on that amount? Right. So that's mm -hmm. the first stage of like, yes, this is where sales should focus their time, where it plays into with performance or even like with general ABM on the marketing side of ABM, ABX, like the marketing side of it is being able to show like, all right, we, we're going to target these accounts. And now we can layer in, not only are they a member of this account, but then they engage with our content, right? They were visiting our site. They um, are clicking on our ads and, and visiting to see like to consume our content. And we can sometimes, we use internally full story itself to say, okay, how many visitors are coming to the page? How many, like, what's the scroll depth? How are they really engaging? And that's the second layer to say, not only are we, can we see the value of time being spent and the conversion at the top level for sales, but for marketing, the investment we're making these campaigns, they're also engaging with this. So it's like, we're really targeting the right audience and it's converting to eventually to like qualified pipe and close one. Yeah. So you can kind of see the difference. So the conversion rate is going up as soon as you layer in this information and you can exactly. tell like the groups that you're focused on versus those that are, that are at lower priority, you see yeah. those conversion rate different. Very Which clear. wasn't the case two years ago, right? Like sales wasn't able to, and marketing either. It was more of kind of, I think you see a, a lot of times still of like sales making a target account list that like, maybe there's a little bit of formula to it, but oftentimes it's all right, these are like accounts I want to target, but that can waste a lot of time when if you're targeting an account and they're nowhere in the purchase stage, they're not even thinking about it. So leave those mm -hmm. accounts, the marketing to kind of warm up and get in front of them or don't do anything with them. It doesn't matter if the account is like in your ICP. If there's no intent, if there's no engagement, right? Especially in this market, there may yeah. be perfect accounts who aren't ready to buy or nowhere near ready to buy. When you have to think about finite resources, probably not best to go that route. Like focus on yeah. is showing a little bit of engagement and interest in yourselves, your competitors to make the most of your time. So true. I mean, intent data is almost necessary when you have ABM strategy going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's so interesting that like, I remember, gosh, four or five years ago, one of the first B2B MXs that I went to that ABM was a hot topic then, right? And intent data yeah. was talking about. 
And this past year, ABM all over the place again. Right. Uh-huh. That it's a hot topic for a good reason, but there's still so much to learn and so much for yes. people to learn on how to use, like, what does it really mean and how do you tactically use it? How do you tactically, like you say, intent data, but what are you doing from an email perspective, from an ad perspective, from your page perspective? Like, how does that, how do you, you actually using it? And I think that's the reason why it's still proved to be a hot topic for all these years, because people are still trying to understand how do you really do it? Yeah. And probably you, you start out with one, right? And then you get it in each of these channels and you have to infiltrate all of them. Yeah. So interesting. And speaking of ABM being the hot topic, I meant, I think I talked through this with Karina Owens, but ABM, very similar to lead gen versus demand gen, right? ABM versus ABX now is the new term. (laughs) Any thoughts on that? Any hot takes? (laughs) I think from just a terminology standpoint, I I don't know if, I think it'll take a long time for ABX to really land because it's going to take forever, but ABM should have been called ABX from the beginning. That's my take on it because that's the only it isn't marketing maybe marketing can initially kick it off a lot of the tooling falls into the marketing side of the house but the actual like abm as a gtm strategy you can't do it just marketing alone ever it's always sales involved it's always sales and able like sales enablement has been a huge partner with everything we've done from an abm perspective RevOps, huge partner with everything we've done for ABM. So it's not, I think marketing was just kind of like it made, it's our marketing peeps. We love acronyms, right? Like we always yeah. grab that. So I think that's where the acronym of marketing came into it. But it really is a an a, like ABX is what ABM is. More inclusive of all of the actual lovers that are involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I feel like it, it kind of does a disservice with ABM. Like it's, it's common terminology in our space now, but yeah. it is a bit of a disservice because cells should be so involved and, sh- and there should be a level of accountability on the cell side that marketing isn't leading on its own. Yeah. We've been great internally where we have great sales partners who are on board and push that, but I know that's not the case everywhere. Oftentimes it can be seen as marketing trying to push this to sales. So I think True. the more the idea of ABX can be infiltrated traded in orgs or even just traditional ABM vendors and influencers get in front of sales, the better because it, it requires sales to be fully bought in for it to work properly. Yeah. Agreed. Within ABM or ABX, but the marketing side, so maybe actually ABM, what are you seeing working? Like what channels are working best or where are you scaling back on? And curious if it's different from for the ABM campaigns that you're running versus non-ABM campaigns, if there's anything that's working in one area and not so much in the other. Well, I think one of, the, I'll say one is email that's working a little bit better in non-ABM versus ABM from a marketing mm-hmm. perspective. We've traditionally let a lot of the emailing come directly from sales for ABM, but we've recently tried some new plays where it's like, hey, let's warm them up first and do marketing outbound emails first before they get over to sales. And it has it, I think that's being seen as a little bit more of like, okay, it's just a a marketing piece. And when you're thinking ABM, you have these target accounts, it does need to be a little bit more of a personalized experience. Um, So our email, we've noticed our email engagement rates are much better with our traditional nurtures and traditional like overall versus 
things that might be a little bit specific to ABM, especially when we compare it to the engagement rates we get from sales law when SDRs and our AEs are reaching out. That's one big piece. I think what's working this well on both is, believe it or not, paid social. We get a really mm. good paid social as well as paid, like when we're able to layer in with paid search. With paid social, we it, it's just, it's more expensive, but you're able to target so well. And yeah. with the right messaging in there, you're able to get in front of the right people. Now, we may not see an immediate form completion or click through or anything like that, but we're seeing that lift happen at the account level where those sales is getting a higher a higher volume of responses when they're doing outreach for those that have mm-hmm. been targeted in that way. That makes sense. And first and foremost, tell us your secrets because I feel like everyone I've talked to so far in the show and it just colleagues even off of the podcast, it's paid social has been such a struggle the past year or so as the costs have gone up and then it they're just not seeing there's been more limitations with the cookies being taken away. So, so many issues there. How are you seeing this work or what do you see work that in a time where it seems like it's not working for so many? We are really focused on using it for lower funnel. So mm. we use it really heavily. And this has come from a lot of trial and error and spending a lot of money before on things like content and paid social. But for our paid social now, the majority of our paid social is for lower content marketing that or lower content offers that we've already vetted these people already. Like these people have shown intent. Like we layer intent into almost all of our advertising mm. audiences. We recently moved over to metadata, which has been amazing. Like yeah. your plug to metadata. If you're not using it or and you're doing paid social, you're behind the game. Yeah. Um, but we're able to make sure that like everything that's in our CRM gets into the paid social platforms before we spend money. And I think that's been one of the biggest shifts, even for ourselves that we've seen where it's still going to pay social is always going to be expensive. It's always going to be a pay per play channel, but if you can hack it in a way of using as much of your own like first party data to get in there, or like at least even third-party data that goes into your systems like Salesforce and Marketo and then pushing it to there, you're getting just a much better likelihood of getting in front of the right people. Yeah. So leveraging a lot of lookalike lists and retargeting lists, things like that. A lot of retargeting, a lot of account lists. And we do a lot of account lists. So like just to kind of give a quick idea from an ABM, like if you think of ABM and paid social and how you think of it from stage base, we're now putting our stages of, hey, accounts fit this criteria and maybe we're going after SaaS or retail or anything like that. That's cool. And we know that we want this persona within that. And that's normally where it would, where it stops with paid social, right? You have your persona, you have your industry, you have your messaging, but then yeah. when you layer in like any type of intent, so, and this person is an A-grade contact for it, and this account is in the purchase stage, your audience is going to get smaller, but my gosh, is it going to be way more targeted? And you see that yeah. in the results as well. Yeah. So more expensive, but just the return is so yep. much more worth it. Exactly. Very cool. So do you not use paid social for anything in tofu, like top of funnel for awareness at all? We have before and we're trying to do it a little bit now, but it's tricky. Like that's a tough one where specifically right now when budgets are extremely scrutinized yeah mm-hmm. performance is extremely on the line because it is a channel that is expected to bring pipeline 
when it that's where it's like it's tough to get that buy-in of yes let's spend ten thousand dollars in promoting this content or promoting this video even though we know it's not going to have any direct attribution and that's a fight we still struggle with sometimes of yeah where do we pull back on expecting attribution but knowing that it's making the big impact on the lift that's where our account kind of lift metrics that we're looking at we're trying to pull in more of what are the different engagements that we're seeing not necessarily like direct one-to-one but that true like multi-touch engagement but it's tough like that's just to be very frank it's really tough to be able to prove to finance and prove to our our other counterparts yes this money is worth it when you don't know you know you don't really know is that that's really worth it mate like we'd like to more to spend maybe a little bit more money in targeting those accounts that we just know are already engaged or already have some sense of awareness of who we are. They, we know that they're in the market because, you know, got to take the the economy into play. I think that's an area that oftentimes marketers, we, we get stuck in just our own lane with. Yeah. If you think as a buyer, right? Like I'm sure you bought plenty of tech. I'm in a buyer too. It's if it, Unless it's something that is, absolutely a requirement right now we're not looking at it even yeah. all the maps have even if it's a great tool so mm-hmm. you have to take that perspective into your marketing as well and shift for the market accordingly to really be unfocused when the market is contracted like it is right now yeah. because you could potentially spend a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of time with sales and marketing together going after great looking accounts great looking personas but if they're not ready to buy or they're not in that stage, it's going to be a waste. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, a lot of buyers are in a consolidation mindset right now, exactly. right? So it's it's that much harder to win them over. I'm curious when you say paid social, are we mostly talking LinkedIn or have you tested the waters with TikTok or what are your thoughts on other channels? I want to test them. I've made my own <laughs> TikTok before. I want have to test you? Uh... Yeah, just one, <laughs> just one, because that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. From a business, we haven't, checked it out as much that it's on that list of like nice to have so would love to do it but yeah not the season realistically <laughs> right now like we're focusing on what's working yeah let's improve it let's yeah. focus it and make sure we're optimizing and improving what we already know is working because we're not in a place to really try right now the economy's not in a place to try new things we're not in a place to try new things yet it would be nice mm. but and that's that's tough just being honest that can be tough as a marketer, you want to, you do want to try some new stuff. You want to play. Yeah. Yeah. You want to play around. But I think as a leader and hopefully like when you're at the leaders that are, you're working with as well, they're able to identify when those pivots have to happen of, all right, let's really focus right now versus, all right, we're in a little bit, we had a little bit of wiggle room. Now let's experiment. Yeah, for sure. On the flip side of love hearing that paid social and LinkedIn and others are working for you right now. What have you cut and in the past couple of years that just did not work? And you, I mean, maybe one day you'll revisit, or is there something you just are done with forever? <laughs> Content syndication. I'm done. Oh yeah. Done. That's a good Another, one. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm, I've tried about every vendor I'm just, it's ditto, just, ditto. <laughs> and I really want it to work right. It sounds so great in theory, but yes. even when you layer in and t- like all the great new ways you can do it, it's still just yes. not performing. For so us. true. They so, always hook you in with a new feature yeah. and you're like, Oh, this looks so I'm great. Like, Let's okay. try it. Gets so, your numbers up, but they're useless numbers. 
it's so that is true. a big one. We're not doing that anymore. We tested around with Facebook in last year. And it's, you're like, oh, another paid social channel. And oh, yeah, it's going to be less money. But uh, that's what I would like to maybe test again. But we're just not there to really be able to waste that money and to yeah. put the money in it that you need to. We also last year tried billboards, which I know it's like, that's kind of more old school. And it's interesting. We cut it because we're like, yep, that was a big cost. cost a lot of money, not a lot of attribution. But we're actually in the midst right now to going back and trying to look at site traffic changes and correlations that may not have been directly like we had qr codes and things like that on there mm -hmm. but like hey are there was there traffic in those areas that we had it that was leading to the higher conversions on our website so like that's a unique one that yeah. i thought was a dead set no we're not doing it again but there may be a little bit of comeback because it's a different type of brand brand play when it's done correctly yeah. So interesting. And it's an old one, right? Like you don't think billboards. It's like, what? That seems like so old school, but it was, we had some really cool ones and I think they may have made a yeah. little bit of a dent more than we initially thought. It's funny you say that because I was listening to, I forget if it was a podcast or if it was a webinar this week, but Ryan Bonici, if you remember him from G2, yeah. the CMO, and now I forget, he's at Gym Pass, I think now, but he was saying the same. He said he used to say the one thing he was done with and would never do is billboards. He said, and now my foot is in my mouth. Billboards are great because you can use QR codes. There's all these ways that you can actually track it now and there and people are out and about again and yeah. actually paying it attention. So he's seeing a rise in that also. So that's so interesting. Yeah. Let's see. I want to talk one thing. I know we have to wrap up soon. You have another call, but curious, you recently uh, got on stage. Was it at B2BMX? Yes. Was that amazing. So tell us all about your yeah. experience and how you got into speaking. I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are curious to build their own brand and get out there themselves. So how you did that and your experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of, I, I thankfully stumbled into it. Honestly, it was, I'd say my one before I go into it, I would say if you have great vendors or you have vendors that you're working with or tools that you're using, anything like that, get in front of them. Try to be a voice of change and a voice of like, raise your hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was kind of the case that led to speaking there. So we have Six Sense. We brought Six Sense on about a year, like I said, a year and a half ago. And they have awards, uh, annual awards uh, banquet or some type of an event. And yeah. for that, you can submit awards. Well, we had a couple of like really great use cases and internal um, examples of how we were using Sixth Sense that we submitted and became finalists for those awards. And that kind of catalyzed, they had a speaking opportunity there and asked, hey, like, can you talk about one of these? Very cool. Your use cases. One of the issues though with that or that issue but a flag that i raised is traditionally a lot of times when they're like you know this like when you're an event if you're sponsoring an event you can get a speaker session you want to just show off and it can be like a pitch it's like yeah. i've been bmb mx for four or five years there are lots of pitches i'm not going to do a pitch for you we could talk about sixes but it won't be a pitch yeah. and they're like yeah totally that's exactly what we want Good. so we got to speak with Carrie Cunningham, which has always been one of my favorites in the industry. And it was an extremely tactical session. We, we got in the nitty gritty of making smart lists and building out reports and lots of Salesforce screenshots, but it was a, a great session. 
Very cool. I think I remember seeing on LinkedIn that people were raving and they wanted the notes from it because it was very yeah. tactical with like to do's that people wanted to put to life afterwards. That made me so happy. That yeah. was my biggest concern. Like I was, in there, I was like, I don't want it to be a, and that just a, a sales push and mm -hmm. to get some of the feedback was, was great. I think that's, I mean, that's what any of us go to those conferences for, right? The dreams, yeah. the flags, and then like the actual <laughs> tactics that we can use. Right, exactly. All the notes that hopefully you put to use when you get back and they don't just collect dust on your desk. Exactly. <laughs> well, one last thing as we wrap up, what is your favorite book or podcast right now? Oh, gosh. Okay. So I think I share this. I'm not into a lot of the industry, like really focused on industry. I'm listening to podcasts and reading books. So I'll give you both sides of it. My favorite podcast at all right now is called This American Life. It mm. is nothing to do with B2B tech, but it's great. Just stories about life and people's experiences. And it's really interesting. It's just a really cool podcast. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Or actual, like in the industry. I really like marketing millennials. Obviously. So good. I, yeah. That's one of my favorites. Obviously love women and B2B marketing Thank here. Uh, I'd say those are two of my biggest ones. I really like Exit 5, like Dave um, Gerhardt's podcast. Yeah. Before. Um, so those are my favorites. For books, I'm kind of all over the place. I just restarted Harry Potter. To be honest, oh, <laughs> I love that. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I really like Harry Potter. I do a lot of fiction. So yeah. has I'm your son read it. that series yet? He's not as much into it. It breaks oh, my heart. That would have been so cool if you could have I talked mean, about it. I know. <laughs> so no, he's all over the place with different types of like all the different sports books. Sometimes that he's So there's some, there's some really interesting ones out there, but he's more into to the, anything with sports. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. This has been amazing. And I love hearing that you found ways to get paid social to work in these current times. So that's amazing. Kudos to you. I mean, obviously your story too is working so well that you wanted, you were chosen to share it at the B2BMX. So awesome. Yeah. And love well, to hear about you. your team. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you for joining us and thank you everybody for listening. I'd love to chat with you again. Sorry, I feel like there's so many avenues we can go down to. Absolutely. I'm always down. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thank you everybody for tuning in today. We'll put a, a bunch of these links in show notes and remember to like, share, comment, review wherever you can. Some platforms you can, some you can't still for some reason, but show us some love wherever you can. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Bye, Sarah. Bye.